Good morning, everyone. Uh, good to see you all this morning. Um, I will say, uh, the reading says a few uh, different names in there, that typical biblical names, so I do apologise if the pronunciations aren't quite correct. Uh, but the reading today is coming from the book of Numbers, chapters uh, 22 and 23. Uh, so this reading today describes how the king of Moab, Balak, employed by a pagan soothsayer called Balaam to curse God's people so he could defeat them in battle. And it's taken from uh, Numbers chapter 22, verses 1 to 8, and then again 23, 16 uh, to 23. So if you have your Bibles with you, feel free to turn to those pages, but I believe it's showing on the screen behind me as well. Then the people of Israel travelled to the plains of Moab and camped east of the Jordan River, across from Jericho. Balak, son of Zippor, the Moabite king, had seen everything the Israelites did to the Amorites. And when the people of Moab saw how many Israelites there were, they were terrified. The king of Moab said to the elders of Midian, This mob will devour everything in sight, like an ox devours grass in the field. So Balak, king of Moab, sent messengers to, sent messengers, sorry, to call Balaam, son of Baal, who was living in his native land of Pethel, near the Euphrates River. His message said, Look, a vast horde of people has arised from Egypt. They cover the face of earth and are threatening me. Please, come and curse these people for me, because they are too powerful for me. Then perhaps I will be able to conquer them and drive them from the land. I know that blessings fall on any people you bless, and curses fall on people you curse. Balak's messengers, who were elders in Moab and Midian, set out with money to pay Balaam to place a curse upon Israel. They went to Balaam and delivered Balak's message to them. To him, sorry. Stay here overnight, Balaam said. In the morning I will tell you whatever the Lord directs me to say. So the officials from Moab stayed there with Balaam. So Balaam delivered his first message, but it was a blessing, not what the king wanted at all. And the king told Balaam to try again. So they climbed to the top of a mountain uh, called Pisgah Peak and made more religious sacrifices. And this is what happened. And the Lord met Balaam and gave him a second message. Then he said, go back to Balak and give him my message. So Balaam returned and found the king standing beside his burnt offerings with all the officials of Moab. What did the Lord say? Balak asked eagerly. This was the message Balaam delivered. Rise up, Balak, and listen. Hear me, son of Zippor. God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? Listen, I have received a command to bless. God is blessed, and I cannot reverse it. No misfortune is in his plan for Jacob, no trouble in store for Israel. For the Lord their God is with them. He has been proclaimed their king. God brought them out of Egypt. For them, he is as strong as a wild ox. No curse can touch Jacob. No magic has any power against Israel. For now it be said of Jacob, what wonders God has done for Israel. May God bless this uh, reading from his word. Amen. Great. Well, it's lovely to be here. I think. <laughs> no, it is great. Uh, yeah, some of you don't know me, so I'm Pete. And uh, Marky asked me if I'd come and speak, and I know you're doing numbers. And so I've extracted those two bits to start with, and uh, I'll take it off in different directions, I expect, as we go. But the first thing I wanted to talk about is uh, this concept of a glass ceiling. Chris and I have often had this sense that there's a kind of glass ceiling. Um, 
it's a metaphor for when people are trying to rise to a hierarchy, but there's an invisible barrier that stops them doing it. So it's often used, for example, of, of women who can't get promoted in a workplace. But we've sensed, two of us, that uh, it can be an invisible barrier that separates us somehow from um, experiencing and knowing God. So we can kind of see through the glass and this thing, these things, this is what God's done, this is what he's like. But we don't actually, it doesn't really affect us, it doesn't touch us. And um, so I was praying about that through this week. But what I feel so much so for today anyway is that we don't try and break through that barrier. I've always thought that was our responsibility. But I just wonder if today, maybe for you, God wants to break through that barrier to you. It's his work. It's what he does. He's God. We're not. So I wanted to start, if you feel able, to just open your hands, open our hands to God, and I'm just going to pray a short prayer in openness. Father God, we so often feel like ground that's fallow and trodden. So we come now as we are. And we ask you, O oh God, to come. Drench the soil of our hearts and minds with your power and your grace through your Holy Spirit and revitalize us. Please, God. Amen. So I want to consider three points today. It's got to be a good sermon, isn't it? Um, God is for you. He invites you to know him personally, intimately, as a father. And out of that relationship that we have a living hope, a long-term destination in view, whatever our current circumstances. And I know that you've been going through numbers, so I've been doing a bit of recap. Uh, listen to Mark's sermon, listen to Ian's sermon. So on. I'm ready. Quick recap. As you know, the book covers about 40 years of history of God's people, and it starts when they've been rescued from appalling slavery under the Egyptians. So they've been saved by God. They've walked through the sea, and they've found a new freedom. Moses then takes a census, and then it's a simple matter of walking a few more weeks to enter the land promised them by God. It was, as Mark explained in his sermon, about God being central about knowing him, and about making progress. But it's a walk that's fraught with challenges. Actually, opportunities for God to teach them that he's with them, utterly trustworthy and faithful. But, as in Eden, and as with all of us since, leaning on God and trusting him, it goes against our it grates with us, doesn't it? And so instead, we control things, or we try to. And that's what happened with these, the people of Israel. They sought to control things for themselves. After all, they were a talented lot. And in the end, God said, okay, have it your way, but without me, you cannot make it to the destination I have promised. And we know that all of the men in that census, bar two, died in the wilderness over that 40 years. 
Just Caleb and Joshua made it. Because they persisted in trusting God against everyone else's better judgment. And now at the end of the book, we have another census. I wanted Jill to read it. But um, I thought that was a bit unfair, really. (laughs) And the numbers, funnily enough, are almost exactly the same as at the beginning, for Colin's benefit, bar (laughs) 0.3%. But something else was going on. As we heard in the reading, the king of Moab wanted God's people cursed so he could defeat them. So, out of sight, way up on this mountain is an unseen realm. And unbeknown to the people in the valley, something is going on. And God says, no curse. Only blessing. Remarkable. This was a pagan soothsayer. He didn't know God. But God would not have his purposes thwarted. God will build his church. Whatever demonic interventions there may be anywhere in the world, Jesus said so. And that's about the church. We can often take things personal that are corporate, can't we? But I think there is also a personal aspect to this. Because some of us may feel we've been in a bit of a 40 years wandering round and round, not sure where we're going. It's kind of seemed to come in at the beginning of the service this morning, and certainly it's often a sense with me. (laughs) Um, You can have disappointments, you can have challenges. And maybe looking back over 40 years, you can have regrets. You can be disillusioned, you can be weary. You feel as if you're now camping in a desert place. But I want to tell you (laughs) that God wants to bless. He is for you. He still wants to bless. And live in the benefits of that being saved and going through the sea. And to be encouraged and empowered to keep going to a promised destination. We've just done a series at the church where where we're based now on knowing God. And I've really appreciated it, actually. Uh, It's been great. But one of my prayers, and you you know me, you'll know it anyway, but often when I'm out walking, the dog, um, or whatever, when I'm praying, I'm saying, God, please don't let me deceive myself into thinking I know you, when actually I don't, or I don't see you as you really are, and I'm not being real with you, and I don't let you be real with me. Please, please, I don't want to get that day when I see you and think, oh, help. So one of my prayers has been through this Knowing God series. I don't want to just encounter God. I don't want to just experience God, though that's wonderful. I want to know him. (laughs) You may remember before we left Bristol, there was a psalm, a verse in a psalm that was very much on our hearts at the time. And it says this, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will lead you with my eye. That's Psalm 32. And to be led with God's eye means it's face to face, 
I look at him, but he sees me. There's a book I can recommend. How about that? I didn't write it. I haven't written any. Uh, This one's by J.I. Packer. It's a well-known book, apparently, that I didn't read it until this year. Mark is laughing, saying, yeah, how can you be a Christian if you don't read that? (laughs) Anyway, there we go. So it's a good book called um, Knowing God. I do, honestly, I do recommend it. It's very well written. It's great theology, but it's very accessible, and he's very honest. I like books that are honest. It's great. He says this. There is tremendous relief in knowing that God's love for me is utterly realistic, based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me, so that no discovery now can disillusion him about me in the way I am so often disillusioned about myself and quench his determination to bless me. Hallelujah. (laughs) Doesn't that give you hope? So knowing God is birth in an encounter with God through Jesus, isn't it? We know that. It's your undoing and it's your remaking. So it's an experience. But it is also an invitation into a journey, a walk, sometimes fraught with challenges. But it's an opportunity for God to prove he's utterly trustworthy and faithful, just as we read in Numbers. And if we die to demanding to do things our way and receive God's embrace as our Father, then we can learn to walk openly and receive God's embrace. And we thank God that Jesus has made that possible. By God's own self-sacrifice of his son, he has taken and disempowered the curse that can be over you and me. He looks at me, he looks at you in the raw just as you are, just as I am. But he still forgives you and loves you and washes you and adopts you as his child, his son, daughter. My father, God, you're my father. The wonder, the sheer wonder of it. And with all this in mind, Paul poses some brilliant questions in Romans 8. They're quite familiar, but I want to read them slowly and ask you to ponder the answer. I've got just four. So listen, if God is for you, who can be against you? If God is for you, who can be against you? Paul says God, who didn't even keep back his own son, but offered him up for you and me, for us all. Won't he freely give you everything? Next question. Who dares accuse you whom God has chosen as his? Who dares accuse you whom God has chosen as his? 
replies, no one. In one one version it says, God himself declares not guilty. Third question for you. Who then will condemn you? Who then will condemn you? Not Christ, who died and lives, pleading with God for you. Final of the questions I've listed. Who then can separate you from the love of Christ? Who then can separate you from the love of Christ? Can trouble do it? Or hardship? Or persecution? Or hunger? Or poverty? Or danger? Or death? Profound, eh? (laughs) So thinking back to numbers, they were on this walk to a promised destination. We too are on a walk. We often use this journey thing, don't we? I'm trying to avoid it, actually, calling it a walk. But walking involves using both legs. I don't know if you've noticed. It's quite difficult to hop. The world record for hopping is for one hour, 30 minutes, and 38 seconds. Um, in India, of course. Uh, but walking, you can walk longer than that. Um, yes, walking involves both legs. It means a life of knowing God and living it out. And what I think is so important for us to realize is that faith and works are essential. That's what James says. Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead, says James. So in Numbers, the problem was they didn't put into practice the faith that they could have enabled them to do so. They didn't trust God in the end. And that's the challenge for me. (laughs) And it's the challenge for you. And that is the joy of having scripture because it teaches us these things. I heard a story from a guy, not a story, his life history last week. A real privilege. I've not met him before. He came to our little home group. His name was Richard. And... uh, He was the deputy head of a primary school for 25 years, and then he really felt the call to become a minister, a Baptist minister, amazingly enough. And and so he did. And uh, so he he plans to go to Spurgeon's and and all these kind of things. And then some really, really, really tough stuff happened in his family. And he had to change those plans, but he still went to Spurgeon's. And then he was called to a pastor, to be a pastor of a church in Vista. And just after a couple of months of being there, he was out on his motorbike with his wife on the back and was involved in a terrible accident. And he survived, his wife did, but was seriously injured. Went over his head and it wasn't his fault at all. 
Someone pulled out straight in front of him. There wasn't a chance. All his plans, all his study, all his intentions, what happened to it? He carried on. He had to become a carer for his wife. Though I have to say, apparently she's doing really, really well. And she's living almost a normal life with a few sort of difficulties. Such a privilege to meet this man. So he had to stop what he was doing. And so the group, we asked, so what now? Because this is all some years ago. He's now just retired. So what now? He said, well, dig deep into God. At times it was like I was holding on by my fingernails. But just knowing, trusting, God knows and that he is with me. So they used to read Romans 8 together when his wife was still unconscious. She was in a coma for over a week. He said, my duty, my, my call is to love and care for my wife. To get to know the neighbors. To love people. To have relationships with that maybe sometimes our ambitions or leading a church or whatever it is we feel is our thing isn't actually the most important thing. What's the most important thing? It's putting into practice who God is in your day to day. It's living out a love of loving a life of loving people, being real. So they know that they're loved by God. That's the gospel, isn't it? And also, what came across, he had such a big view of God and eternity. It was humbling and such a blessing to be with him. He was so ordinary and gentle and lovely, but he had such a view. And when he prayed at the end of our session, he was all about God. One day, there's going to be no more pain. One day, all our battling and trials and difficulties and challenge, they all seem so insignificant. And it's just a joy to meet someone who's living that out. <laughs> Such a joy. And in the biblical history, we can see this temptation to stop walking and settle down. So, first major example is uh, back in Genesis, after the flood. And Noah and his sons were told by God, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then it says, chapter or two later, as the people move east, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used brick instead of stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, come, let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered all over the face of the earth. Which is what God wanted, wasn't it? <laughs> Amazing. They built the Tower of Babel. Some say it could have reached about 2.4 kilometers high. That's one and a half miles. Others say, actually, there's no limit to how high it could have gone except to the air quality. <laughs> oh, it had a big base. It's not like the shard. Yeah. And I guess what they should have done is build their build buildings with natural stone, what was just there. But no, they went industrial. <laughs> they dug the clay. They built factories. They made bricks because they wanted to make a name for themselves and reject God's commission. Isn't that a temptation? 
God said no and sent a confusion of languages so it couldn't happen. He wanted them to go out into all the world. Wonderfully, the whole Babel thing was reversed at Pentecost. They were together in one place, waiting, what's next, God? And he broke the glass ceiling. He came, and the mission was go out with ev into every tongue and nation with this good news, and they could speak a language that everybody understood. All reversed, because God had a purpose, an eternal purpose, that the whole world must be reached with the goodness of God that we sang about, <laughs> and the power of God to set people free, whoever they are. And I do remember someone preaching many years ago that there may have been a, a, a problem actually with the apostles in the New Testament when they settled with the council in Jerusalem. And persecution came that sent them out. Maybe that was God's way of saying, get out, will you? <laughs> Don't settle. In contrast, take Abraham. God had said to Abraham, go to the land that I will show you, and you'll be a blessing. And his father, Terah, and the whole family left Ur to go to the land of Canaan. You read this in Genesis 11 and 12. But when they came to Haran, they dwelt there, it says. And that's where Abraham's father, Terah, died. But Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him. Hallelujah. There's a man of faith, isn't he? Abraham, a father in the faith, because he trusted God more than this settling thing. This need to control and be settled and think, I can do this. We're called to follow that, aren't we? So what does it mean to go? Well, we went, didn't we, from here to Worcester. I'm not expecting everyone to follow. Um, I'm not expecting necessarily God saying anything like that to you, necessarily. But what does it mean to go? I put down these as thoughts. First of all, it means being real about God, about ourselves. Our regrets, our fears, our shortcomings. Maybe where we feel we failed. Maybe we felt that we're going around the desert. Be real about it. God's not going to rebuke you for it. He'd much rather have that honesty and say, let's have a conversation. I've got purpose for you, still. And such a relief, isn't it? Can you remember way back when you first met God through repentance? And it was scary, but it was wonderful because you knew you're forgiven. It's okay. You lived to tell the tale. It's the same today. It might mean having to put something right with someone. It will mean listening to God with openness. It will mean recognizing that I can't do this, but God can. No more do it yourself. It will mean questioning the statement, I can't because...
It'll mean being unafraid of change. Not saying you won't have fear, but not being dominated by the fear. But saying, okay, God, I'll trust you then. It's a daily thing, isn't it? <laughs> I find it a daily thing. So many things I just don't want to do. And I think, come on, get on with it. God's bigger than you are, Pete. That's a good thing. So I'll read that blessing that the uh, pagan brought again. We heard it earlier from Numbers. God is not a man, so he does not lie. He's not human, so he doesn't change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? Listen, says Balaam. I received a command to bless. God has blessed, and I can't reverse it. No misfortune in his plan for Jacob. No trouble is in store for Israel. For the Lord their God is with them. He has been proclaimed their king. Brackets, not you. Moab. King of Moab. God brought them out of Egypt. For them, he's as strong as a wild ox. No curse can touch Jacob. No magic has any power against Israel. For now it will be said of Jacob, what wonders God has done for Israel. I want to speak hope. Sometimes I don't have hope. Sometimes I feel I'm holding on by fingernails. But I want us to encourage each other to say, that's okay. That's okay. But actually, just don't give up. Keep going. And we'll discover that actually it's his strength, his ability, and not mine. And that's humbling and it's uncomfortable. But it's wonderful and releasing. Nearly there. Mark, you started this service with Colossians 3.1. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honour at God's right hand. So not on the realities of your current circumstances, necessarily. They're not always great, and they can be challenging and disappointing, but the realities of heaven. And then 1 Peter, my last reading. 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, incidentally, risen from prison, just so we understand. Who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. How 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm just going to play the final song in a minute, which she's nervous about because she thinks sometimes I can't quite get it right, but don't worry. But before then, it's God of Justice by Tim Hughes, and it says, go, go and feed the hungry. Go, go. Whoever that is for you, and it's actually a song that launched our thinking back in 2020 that we ought to be moving on. We didn't know it was going to be, but it just kind of hit us. It was when Mark, his mentor, was speaking. You can blame him. Yeah. <laughs> or thank him. <laughs> but before Abby starts, can we just stand? We started, didn't we, by thinking about a glass ceiling and opening our hands. So, over to you, but, yeah. Be real with God. He's here to do business with us, because he loves us. So here we are, Lord, just, just us. <laughs> We're not trying to pretend that we've got it all sorted. But we don't, what we don't want to do is pretend that somehow we have. God, come. God, come. Pour the rain, the moisture of your Holy Spirit into our hearts again and revitalize us. Now, through the day, in the coming days, and for our part, we just open up all the soil of our hearts and say, yes, Lord, yes. Prove yourself faithful in ordinary, fallen people like us. Because then there's hope for the nations. Hallelujah.